Well, very good morning to uh, to everyone. It's uh, so good to be here. It's it's always still a little nerve wracking to get up and and preach, and I always think that the more I do this, the the less nerves there will be. And I guess I just haven't reached that point yet. Uh, so bear with me, but I am still excited to be here nonetheless. I'm excited to to see you, fine brethren, to to be here and singing songs of praise with you, opening up the Word of God. Uh, just as we are about to do, we're going to delve into some scripture, and uh, my my request is, as always, that you just be listeners, that if you have any questions or comments, uh, anything at all that you want to get with me about in the sermon, you be sure and do that. Uh, anything that can that can help me grow, uh, I would consider, consider uh, you a great friend to come to me and, and talk with me. And we do have visitors, uh, you are our honored guests, we're glad you're here. Uh, we just hope that your time here is well spent, that you walk out of these doors encouraged and uplifted by the brethren here, uh, and that you find all that we do also in accordance with the Word of God. I read an article recently that, that held one statement which intrigued me for several days. Three little words cycled in my mind as I thought about them and, and what they could mean to different people. The words were, outlive your life. The obvious first thought for me was, well, of course it's referring to a spiritual matter. Living, in, on, in, living on in eternity is, is outliving your life. And that statement is true. However, I thought just a little more about these words. And, and well, who's to say that, that I can't outlive my life in, in another way? When we think about those we know who have uh, lived their lives and, and gone on past this world, you know, what do we say about them? I'm sure there are many good stories out there of, of relatives who have lived and, and gone on, but left a, a lasting impression, something that, that their lineage will talk about for years to come. And among those stories, though, I wonder how many of us are able to, to talk about the kind of faith those people had. Do we know, and, and if we know, how would we describe it? If we could describe it well enough, could that mean that those people impacted our lives to what we are today? One of the most impactful impressions uh, I think one can have on our family living and even after death are those of spiritual matters and how we served God, especially in a household of those who also serve the Lord. So this morning I want to invite you along as we look at Scripture to expose a very important foundational element in our service to God, and that is our faith. And more so as we study that we are examining our individual faith, seeing that we have built it strong, that we are continuing to strengthen that faith as we continue our service to God each and every day. And at the end of the lesson, I truly hope we will learn the value in not only forming a strong faith as we live, but a faith that lasts even to the point of influencing others when we have moved on. This lesson uh, plan is comprised of three parts. Firstly, the establishment of our faith. Secondly, growing our faith. And then thirdly, making sure our faith lasts. So firstly, the establishment, or uh, I'm sorry, much of, our, much of our lesson this morning will be familiar to uh, us who have been Christians for, for many years, but, but that doesn't mean that the lesson won't still apply to each and every one of us, young and old. Let's, let's begin with understanding what the foundation needs to be with this faith. And what better way than discussing what faith is? And I realize that, that faith is defined in Scripture. But if you had to explain it to someone, what would you say? 
Because it's difficult for me to not to immediately go to that verse in my head to try to explain it. And I guess if I had to, to try to say something off the cuff, I would say believing in something, whether you can see it or not. And it's just not as good as Hebrews 11.1, 1, which I was thinking about this, and it's, it's funny to me, really, when you think about it. If, if someone picks up the Bible just as a fresh start and reads it uh, cover to cover without skipping, I just don't feel like they're going to stop and go, oh, so, so that's what faith is. I think it's going to become pretty self-evident as they read through the Old and New Testament stories. But since most of us are familiar with the passage, let's go ahead and read it before moving on. And I'm going to be referring to the New Living Translation for this passage because it breaks it down fairly well. Fairly well. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. So with that passage in mind and kind of a basis for moving forward with understanding, I want you to go ahead and be turning to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 12 through 17. Romans 10, 12 through 17. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what He has heard from us? Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Who does faith come from? If you read this for the first time, it could appear that that maybe you need a Paul or you need a preacher to instill this faith in you. Well, a preacher is just a messenger, the voice piece of God's word. Faith comes by, by hearing, attaining knowledge. Knowledge of what? Hearing by the word of God, knowledge of the scripture. We learn scripture by whatever means necessary. We can we can begin to form our faith and a faith in what a faith in what we attain knowledge of through those soul saving words. So we're hearing this word. We're gaining this knowledge. A change is taking place in our thought process. So, So now I've got this faith, right? I've got this faith. And that means I've accomplished my goal. Let's look at this another way. A few weeks ago, I played disc golf for the first time with uh, with Mitch and his, and his brother. I didn't have any equipment, so I had to play with his equipment. And I loved what little we played. So I guess I talked about it to the point that I drove my wife crazy, and she bought me one of those uh, three-set disc golf packages. So now I've got my three disc, and I know what the little chain goal thingy looks like. And that means I'm all set to go pro, right? <laughs> Robbie immediately. <laughs> no, of course not. I haven't, I haven't practiced. I haven't, I haven't studied it. I haven't exercised that ability enough yet. It's going to take some time before I figure it out. And I know this for a fact because I took Hunter to the Eubank Park to play disc golf. And uh, the first launch pad we went to said launch pad three. I couldn't even find the first launch pad. And they even have arrows pointing where to go after you throw your disc. And we went from 3 to 18 to 21 to done. We didn't even get to play the whole course. So the point is obvious. 
We may have begun our faith as we hear or read these words, but we must continue to study it and exercise that faith to build it up. In studying God's word, we will come to understand even more the importance of having that faith. Understanding that there is only one faith that is pleasing to God, Ephesians 4, 5, and without that faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him, Hebrews eleven six. I'm going to be putting several verses up on the screen for your guys' convenience, because there are many we'll be going over, uh, but at the times I want you to follow along, I'll let you know. So we will begin to grasp the measures of what faith, uh, of what that faith will do for us in our service to God. And it, and it can and should become the standard by which we live. We have a good reference from Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23 where Jeremiah acknowledged the truth that on our own we are lost. He says, I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. So how then are we to direct our steps? Or how are then are our steps directed? Paul told the brethren at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5-7 that, that we walk by faith and not by sight. And in Romans 1-17 that the righteous man shall live by faith. We will walk with understanding, not having to wonder about the, the ever-changing beliefs of men and, and uh, who or what we evolved from. No inconsistent scientific reasoning about how the world came to be and all its perfection through the processes of nature. Hebrews 11.3 reminds us, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. All along the while, as we're reading and studying these scriptures, they're going to do something for us. We're reminded of what they're going to do in 2 Peter 3.18. Well, we're going to produce something. We're going to grow. We're going to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And do you see that word grow? I even put it in red for us. There's nothing about our spirituality that we should not want to grow. In Hebrews 5, turn to Hebrews chapter 5 with me. Hebrews 5, starting in verse 12 and reading through 14. Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. For everyone who lives on who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. We see a concept that should make sense to anybody. The kind of people that this would be addressed to would have, would be those who have a weak faith. The bare minimum is put in, and the bare minimum is what will come out. And so that's going to help us enter into the second part of this morning's lesson, more specifically, growing our faith. Now, if you want to get in shape, you don't exercise one day a year. I'm sorry, that's that's tough news to take on. And quite frankly, one day a week isn't going to cut it either. Now, it takes routine, it takes dedication. As a matter of fact, if you go to the gym for several straight months routinely... You will show increase in whatever you are working towards, stamina, strength, tone, whatever it is. Now take a break for a few months and go back. What happens? Why do the weights feel heavier than they did before? Why does the mile seem like an extra long mile? 
Well, it's because we did not keep up the routine. We did not exercise regularly and routinely for those few months, and now we feel the struggle of getting back into that routine. And it's no different in how we should actively uh, use and study and grow in the Word of God. If I set my Bible down six days a week, I will not abound like I would if I picked it up six days a week. It's simple logic. Hebrews 2.1 Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. We are reminded and instructed in Scripture like this, that it's important not to just hear the Word and begin that development of faith, but to give that earnest heed to the things that we have heard. Really process it, really let it sink in before we sink from it. Slipping up. Or little by little negligence is exactly what the devil's hoping for. And he would like for you to be insecure in your faith so as to take advantage of the opportunity to cause you to fall. Growing faith requires being active, being a doer. James 1, 21 through 24. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Again, a reminder in Matthew 7, Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. There's a very strong emphasis on an action in both of these passages, both of these verses. And even more than just these two lie uh, throughout Scripture. Something that is on our part, that that we need to commit to and work with. If I say to my kids, do your homework, and all they did was hear the words but didn't do the work, well, that puts up a pretty big red flag. Everyone would agree that that would be uh, a blatant disobedience. That, of course, has, has never happened. Why would anyone look at it any different in regards to our actions with God's instruction? So we need to be active in the Word of God, making sure we're putting to use our minds and our abilities in growing our faith. And as a matter of fact, I chopped out some sections of Scripture that give us a pretty good idea, uh, or some pretty good ideas of how we can grow our faith, and that starts with picking up and reading our Bible. We need to study... 1 Timothy 2.15, we need to serve God, Hebrews 12.28. We need to walk in the light, 1 John 1.7. We need to pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. We need to continue steadfastly, Acts 2.42. We need to work at it, Philippians 2.12. Strengthen it, live by it, die with it, don't let it die with you. And that's going to bring us to the last portion, which we'll talk most about in just a moment, a lasting faith. Now, to get to talking about this lasting faith, I want to look at a few kinds of faith that we see in Scripture from a handful of examples. 
And I would like to start with looking at some who showed a weak faith followed by those who showed a great faith. And it always amazes me that, that the men who were with Jesus the most still have moments of doubt and worry. Jesus, of course, addresses them on occasion, often saying, O ye of little faith. Let's look at Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. Matthew 8, 23 through 27. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? A weak faith has not learned to trust in God all the way. The same type of mentality exists even in our lives today. It's so easy for us to often say something about our faith, but when it comes to the point of proving it, of showing it, suddenly we back down. We've not fully put our trust in the Lord, and yet we today have the revelation of Jesus Christ. All the proof is there to convict us, so why should we continue to not fully trust in the Lord? A weak faith will worry about the worldly things of this life. This kind of faith is is explained in the parable of Luke. uh, Luke chapter 8 and verse 14, where it reads, These are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to maturity, obsessing over these worldly things. And yet, just a few books behind, Matthew 6, 33 tells us to seek first the kingdom of God, not the pleasures of this life. A weak faith can become distracted. Turn just a few chapters over to Matthew 14. Matthew 14, verses 25 through 31. Matthew 14, 25 through 31. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? You know, at first, Peter appeared to have a great faith. He was the only one of his disciples to step out on the boat to walk on the water. Yet he took his eyes off of Jesus and focused on something else, focused on the storm causing him to sink. Does this sound like moments in our lives as well? Absolutely. We all have these moments. We have our own individual storms, and we will be hit hard by moments in life, and we will become distracted because of our emotions. And yet, again, an answer lies within Scripture, so encouraging. The wise men said in Proverbs 4 and verse 25, Let your eyes look directly ahead, and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. The Hebrew writer admonished us to fix our eyes 
on Jesus. So we're going to fix our gaze on Jesus Christ, and we're not going to let that faith become weak, or else we too could sink in the water. We too could uh, have something that will not last. And so considering these examples of weak faith, what does a strong faith look like in contrast? And we could go down through, through the full list of Hebrews chapter 11 especially and see a whole list of Bible characters who showed a great faith, but we don't have time for that. So let's just consider a few. And I know when I think about uh, faithful men, I, I immediately think of Noah. And I, I love the story of Noah. The older I get, the more I love it, the more I learn about it. We're all pretty familiar with the story of Noah, which was another good reason to, to, to pick on him. And in that while, while the world was in sin and the Lord wanted to destroy it, this one man's righteousness stuck out. One who had and would show a great faith. And I was searching online just the other day for some information on the uh, the Ark Encounter. I was curious as to you know what kind of work went into it, uh, the amount of time that it took, the location, just a broad spectrum of information. And it really got me thinking even more that, that here, you know, men had, had tools, uh, and, and conveniences that Noah, you know, just probably couldn't even fathom having. And I guarantee there were probably likely days when the project leader, you know, he went out to the site and he had stress over how in the world he's going to support this huge ark. On, on what field they would have to survey and level. Where would they have to cut dirt out or put dirt in? Uh, all by which they'd be using, you know, massive equipment. And you can, you can Google picture the ark and see people standing in front of it and they look like little ants. But all these, all these tools these men today would have had at their reach and yet Noah would have done it without any of those conveniences. Turn to Genesis chapter 6 for just a moment here. Genesis chapter 6, we're going to be looking at the, uh, the verses 11 through the, just the first part of 15. Genesis 6 through 15a. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence. God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. And this is how you are to make it. You know, Noah assembled this ark, by, by divine instruction that, that only he was communicated to about at this time. You know, it's, it's, it's possible that those all around would scoff and mock and laugh at this man building this huge boat because they wouldn't know any different. But do you suppose there were days when Noah would maybe go out and, I don't know, maybe the weather would be rough. Maybe it would be really hot. Maybe it would be cold. Maybe he would go out and his hands would be blistered from the wood. If any of you have worked with wood to any extent, you know what I'm talking about. And, you know, I, I doubt they had a big sawmill to, to cut it down, square it out, and sand it off. Do you suppose maybe his arms, his shoulders, his back would be sore? Do you suppose that sweat maybe at some point would drip into his eyes from his brow? You know, we, we read the scripture and within, a, what, maybe five minutes we say, Oh yeah, wow, Noah built a big ark. That's, that's pretty cool. How often do we really stop and, and think just what it would have taken physically and mentally and even emotionally to accomplish this? And all these, of course, are just speculatory, but, but regardless, we know of Noah because of his faith. And that's just how great a faith he showed. 
He didn't second guess his duty in obedience to the Lord. He did exactly to the to the point of what the Lord commanded him. Another great example I'd like us to consider just briefly is is Job. Uh, you know, Job who dealt with physical and emotional tragedies, and yet in the midst of his suffering, he would utter some of the strongest words a man of conviction and faith could utter. Just as a reference, you don't have to turn there, but in Job's one twenty one and Job two ten, you see it. He says. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And then in Job 2.10, Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Just think about those words. Somebody that would have you know, endured things that most of us won't even scratch the surface of in our lives. It amazes me. That so little will cause others to fall away. You know, would we, if put in the position of Job, endure the trial, endure the pain, endure the suffering in such a faith as his, or with such a faith as, as his? You know, we would need to, or we'd be reminding ourselves constantly that, that our service is to the Lord. Reminding ourselves constantly that despite our challenges and sufferings, that he loves us and will care for us as we serve him. I'd say more often than not, we give up pretty quickly at times, especially in comparison to someone who dealt with so, so much. And of course, there are many more men in the New Testament as well that prove a lasting faith. Stephen held his faith to the point of death. Paul held on to his faith so hard that, that he counted himself fortunate to suffer for the cause of Christ. And just like we spoke about in our adult class this morning, the auditorium class, to the point of admitting how excited he was to leave this earth to be with the Lord. But he struggled because he wanted to share that faith. That's how great a faith Paul had, the word of God that he wanted to share with those he encountered. These are men of great and fantastic faith, and so many more are there within Scripture. When I was writing down my original points about Noah and and his great faith, I had a question pop in my head that I thought maybe it could be interesting to ask the audience this morning. And that is, how's your boat coming? Seems like an odd question. Figuratively speaking, of course, have you endured through the good days and the bad days? Have you endured when you were under trial? Did you hold on when it, was so, when it would be so easy to let go? Do we hold on this, uh, to, the, to the kind of faith that is consistent persistent and active each day that we are allotted until we leave this earth. The lasting effect, the lasting effect Noah's faith had not only saved his family, but established a way for human beings to continue to have life. His faith would be talked about for thousands of years because he trusted in the Lord with all his heart and leaned not on his own understanding. If you aren't building your boat like you ought to, well, then I suggest you grab a hammer and nails and start driving them. In this case, we grab the sword and we dig in, we build up our knowledge and confidence in the Word of God, and we allow it to help us carry on throughout the rest of our life. In that life, we exemplify this faith to everyone who, who we encounter. With each other, as we share the Word, with our spouses, our parents, our children, so that when someday, Lord willing, my kids are telling their grandkids about the man I was, they'll be able to say, he was a man of great faith. And I will have outlived my life well. The Apostle Peter 
describe the faith that one might have as being more precious than gold. That's in 1 Peter 1, verse 7. No matter what we hope or what we might hope to gain in this life, nothing is as important as our faith in God, as our service to God. I would like to close out the lesson this morning by reading uh, the following passage, and then we will extend the invitation. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you know that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. Hebrews 10, 32-36. How encouraging of a passage is that? It's a pretty encouraging passage. Talking about this lasting possessions, talking about the perseverance that we need to have as we live through our life. The kind of faith we need to establish is the kind of faith that's going to allow us and help us and make that persevering easier. It's the kind of faith that that when we are in our grave, those beyond us are going to say, man, I knew that guy, and he had a great faith. What kind of example is that? That's a great example. And so the invitation is extended to you, brother or sister. Are you on the right track to outlive your life? Is your faith strong in the Lord? Are you growing it daily, and are you being an example by it, living by it? And those who have not obeyed, are you not convinced? Are you not persuaded by the words you've heard? And that is that the Lord, He is just, He is patient, He is faithful to us. His faith is everlasting, it's eternal. And that He has prepared a reward for you and even me if we choose to obey His word in our life. Confess you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son and that through baptism you will cleanse your sin, you will have your sins cleansed And you can join the good fight to keep the one true and good faith. Begin your journey to outlive your life with a lasting faith. Do that now while we stand and while we sing.